If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, in keeping with uh, sort of the theme of the new year and considering our walk with Christ in this new year, as we do tend to think afresh of things in our lives in January. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. start reading in verse 11 of the fifth chapter and read down through verse 17. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to bo- are giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us, I think the New American translates it, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who is for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Pray for me as I would preach this text, please. God and Father, we do ask your grace to be upon us. I pray, O God, for your grace in my life as I would preach this text. Pray, Heavenly Father, for your spirit to be with me and to give me utterance, to give me unction, O God, of your spirit, and to be with your people as they sit and hear the word preached. O God, we pray, open up hearts and open up minds, open up eyes to be receptive to the instruction of Scripture. And our God, we would pray, if any are here that are not converted this morning, that you would, by your grace, save them. Any here, O God, who have worldly thoughts or worldly passions or worldliness in their thinking regarding spiritual life, that you would grant repentance. Father, help me as I preach. Help your congregation, we ask, as they hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I chose this text uh, again because uh, we are in the new year on the verge of, uh, on the precipice, on the edge of 2023. And for us to consider uh, in our lives, are we truly engaged in following Christ and truly seeking to be obedient to him, considering who we are in Jesus and what he has done for us? There are events that take place in your life that are life-altering forever. Uh, one is marriage. We've got a wedding coming up this next weekend, 
And I will tell them, as uh, I perhaps mentioned during counseling, that once you get married, your life is never, ever going to be the same. That's for the better. But you've got a situation where you've been living either with your parents or you've been living alone or with a brother or something, and now you go and make a home with a new bride or the bride with a new husband. And one thing that I tell people to keep in mind is you've got two sinners living together. Hopefully two redeemed sinners, but nonetheless two sinners living together. And there will be challenges that they will face. But their life will be different from that moment on when they say, I do, and the minister says, I now pronounce you man and wife. It is an altering event. Or consider, again, a new job where you've been working at the same place for many, many years. You're in your hometown. You know the people there. You know the people at work. You love the people at work. You love the people there. But you've got an opportunity to get a new job making a whole lot more money in a different place. And so that means if you accept that job, again, your life is going to be altered. It is going to be altered uh, for the rest of your life. For the better. So I say that to ask you this question. How has being a believer changed your life? How has being a Christian changed the way that you look at the world, that you look at yourself, that you look at others, that you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has there been significant change in your life? And there certainly should be. There must be, as a matter of fact. The Apostle Paul, in writing this letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, demonstrates that his conversion made a great deal of difference in his life. It caused him to change everything. His perspectives on the world, his perspectives on religion, it altered everything in his life. As he says here in the text, he tells us that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, are you a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, here is a question. What happens at conversion? What takes place in the life of an individual, and it is dramatic. If you follow what the Bible teaches us, what happens at conversion is absolutely dramatic. It is going from being one who is dead to one who is alive, one who walked apart from faith in Christ, to one who is now one who is a believer and in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, the confession of faith, and a little catechism. Question number 31. What is effectual calling? That's the work the Spirit does. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds to the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So it is life-altering. It is something that changes us, again, from being an enemy of God's to being one of his children. Drastic change. Well, this morning, as we look at these verses, would have us to see this. And that since regeneration, regenerating faith in Jesus includes a recreating of the person, involves a recreating of the person, that we go from being one who looks at life from the point of a worldly perspective to one who looks at the world from a godly perspective by our conversion. And three things this morning to bring to your attention. The first is that a conversion to Christ 
brings a drastic change in our nature. The second thing, conversion to Christ causes us to consider all things from a Christian perspective. And the problem is we don't always look at things from a Christian perspective. We don't. Matter of fact, I say more often we look at things from a worldly perspective than a Christian perspective. It depends on what it is. It depends on the issue. But often we take off our theological thinking cap, our theological Christian thinking cap, if you will, and reason as one who is of the world. And the second thing, the last thing is our conversion causes us to look forward, causes us to look upward, causes us to live in hope. And let me tell you this. If your Christianity does not include the reality of a heaven to come and the resurrection, uh, you're shortchanging yourself. You're cheating yourself. Because one of the great things about Christianity is the reality that we've beaten death in Christ. That death has no hold over us as believers. And I'm not saying we're not going to die. Uh, you likely will. Unless Jesus comes back first, you likely will. But it is according to the Bible that we go from this world to the next. As Jesus said to the man next to him on the cross, the one who was converted, today you shall be with me in paradise. And Paul says, I long to depart and to be with Christ as he thinks about his own death. Well, the first thing then that our conversion causes us to have a dramatic change in our nature the Apostle Paul speaks of a perspective of an unconverted, unregenerate mind. We consider Christ according to the flesh. He considered himself according to the flesh. And he says, from now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh, because he has indeed and in fact been converted. And it indicates something dealing with time. There was a time when Paul looked at the world, looked at life as an unconverted man, a religious man, a very religious man. But for the apostle, his religion was based upon his works, what he did. And the more he worked, and the more he did, and the more he was obedient to the law of God, the more secure he felt about his place in glory. Pharisees did believe in resurrection. Sadducees did not, but the Pharisees did believe in a resurrection. But there was a time then when the apostle Paul thought in a worldly fashion, about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may consider yourself a strong swimmer, and you may be a fairly strong swimmer. The Apostle Paul considered himself a strong Old Testament saint, but he wasn't a saint at all. And one who considers himself a strong swimmer may change his mind or her mind when they get caught in a riptide. You can't swim against a riptide. You can try and try to just exhaust yourself and get carried further out into the, into the water, into the gulf. You can swim parallel to the beach. Everybody knows that, right? But a person who fancies they're a strong swimmer, like a Johnny Weisbutter, everybody knows who Johnny Weisbutter was? Olympic guy. Plus, he played Tarzan for about 12 movies, I think. Uh, even a swimmer that could swim like Johnny Weisbutter could not fight against a riptide. The perspective would change. Well, Paul's perspective changed. Prior to his conversion, Paul's view of individuals and where they were spiritually was based upon what they did. Not what they believed, but what they did, how faithful they were to keeping the Old Testament law. Were they law keepers? Were they of Israel? Were they circumcised on the eighth day? All of these things in the mind of the Apostle Paul were significant because all of these things 
helped him as far as he was thinking, as far as he was figuring, to be more right with God. To have a leg up, if you will, on those who did not, were not qualified as far as these particular privileges were concerned. And he was judging redemption. He was judging salvation according to the world's standards. At that time, the Old Testament saints, which he was wrong, the Bible says, the Bible never ever taught. In the Old Testament or the New Testament, we were saved by works. It never taught that. We were saved by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But because of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the thinking of works-type religion, they were all caught up into that, including the Apostle Paul. It's not Christ. It's rather what you do, not what Christ has done, but rather what you do. And judging from a worldly mind always leads to wrong conclusions, no matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're considering. If you judge what is before you from a worldly perspective, you'll always make the wrong decision and the possibility of actually being offensive to God. So Paul drew wrong conclusions about himself, about others, and about the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Paul was doing. He was persecuting the church. When he was converted, he was on his way to uh, Damascus to arrest Christians, to put them in chains and to bring them back to Jerusalem for a trial. And so Paul says he knew Christ according to the flesh. So what does he mean by this? It means he considered Jesus according to the mindset of a non-believer. That he considered Christ from the, from the mindset of one who was not converted. And you remember that in the first century, this Messiah that they were looking for was to be one who was a great political leader. One who was going to uh, throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire and Israel would be a nation as it was in the days of David, King David. That's not why Christ came. And so not only was Jesus a disappointment to the Apostle Paul prior to his conversion, but he also was an individual who was hung on a tree. And the Bible teaches them, as it does us, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Paul's evaluation of the Lord Jesus Christ as the world was wrong. To evaluate things properly. Everybody listening. To evaluate things properly, we have to evaluate from God's perspective. Otherwise, we're going to make wrong Decisions concerning whatever it is that we are considering, whatever it is that we are looking at, concerning ourselves, concerning others, concerning Christ, concerning the world. Those decisions have to be made from considering what is God's view of this, what would God have me to do in this case. I'm reading a book right now on the eldership. It's written centuries ago by a fellow from Scotland. Great, great book. He states in this book that if every elder did what Christ caused them to do, the church would be vastly different. Because if the elders did what they were called to do, the people would be different. Everybody would be. It's a great little book, and I think we're going to try to study it as a session. But it's true that we have to get rid of the mindset of worldliness that we have and look at things from the perspective of God. Well, uh, we do then, as we are converted, judge life from the perspective of a believer. 
Everyone is born with a world of life view. Everyone is born looking at the world in a certain way as you grow older. And things influence that, do they not? Your parents may influence that. Uh, your friends may influence that. You're simply, the way you look at things may influence that. Certainly it will. So men are born, uh, men and women are born uh, looking at life from a certain point of view, a certain uh, uh, presupposition, and to look for answers without including God in it means that we look in an inappropriate fashion and conclude things that are not true. There are three sets of presuppositions in the world, I think. One is you've got the individuals who believe that God does not exist. They are atheists. How anyone can be an atheist and really think about creation, about how orderly the creation is, about the marvel of the human body and how it works. I don't see how anybody can consider those things and be an atheist. Because, as it says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. It does not show chaos. It does not show chance events, but rather it shows the wonder and the marvel of God in his creation. So you've got those who look at life as if there is no God. That's their starting point. There's no God. Yeah, and then you have those who uh, do consider that God exists, but rather they're more like deists. They believe God is there, but he's not personal. He's not really involved in the things of the creation. He's not really involved in the lives of individuals who live upon the earth. Uh, he made them, and that's what deists believe, that God kind of created things, wound it up like a clock, and it's slowly running down over time. So they may be religious, but they don't have a personal relationship with God. They may be moral people, but they're not converted because they have not embraced the reality of the triune God who is the redeemer of the elect of God. And then the other individuals are those who believe in the God of the Bible and what the Bible teaches. You know... If we really considered, and it grabbed us, it really grabbed onto us, that the Bible is God's Word, that when we read the Bible, we're reading the thoughts of God, that He put into the hearts of individuals, how differently would we consider it? Would we read it? How much more would we love it if we really, this really grabbed onto us? And I think that so, for many of us, it is something that, like coming to worship, so often we go through the motions. When we sing the doxology, God's people assembled together singing praises to God. It is that we should recognize what we are doing there. We are uniting our voices to sing praises to our great God. And it's not standing up as just simply going through the motions of singing the doxology, but rather we are praising and worshiping the God of our salvation. That's how we should look at it, and we should strive to see that we have that mindset when we do come to worship and reducing praises to our God. The Bible claims to be nothing less than God's Word. Everybody knows 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Well, then, the converted believer, the informed believer, does not look at life from a worldly perspective. 
from the perspective of a non-believer, from a perspective of one who does not have faith, as Paul did. It's fascinating to me that the Apostle Paul was one who, as he was not non-religious, he was not an atheist, he was a one who acknowledged the reality of God, but he did not embrace the God of redemption who sent his son into the world to redeem his people. The converted Christian, which if you're a Christian, you have to be converted. The believer is one who looks at the world from the perspective of God, from the perspective of someone who has been converted. And that changes everything. I talked about events that happen in your life that bring drastic changes permanently. Conversion is one of them. That from the time you are truly brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, from that moment on until you die, you're a believer. And you are to live as a believer. You are to think as a believer. And we know, as from experience and from Scripture as well, think about the Apostle Peter, who out of fear denied he knew Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I swear, I don't know the guy. I don't know him. Your accent gives you away. I don't know him. So three times he said he didn't know who Jesus was. Well, what was he doing? He was afraid. Again, reasoning from the worldly perspective as if there is no God who would care for him, and there is no God who would look out for him. And so at that point he fell into a very, very gross sin. Well, Paul develops, after his conversion, a new perspective on life. From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we have then our conversion causes us to consider all things from a Christian perspective. And the last thing is our conversion causes us to look forward as new creatures. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. The Bible says here that we have been recreated as believers. And the word denotes uh, several things. The creation of the world is that same word used there. Uh, creation in general, creation of man. And what it means here is that we have been recreated in a moral sense. That we have gone from people whose views of the gospel were uh, uh, simply incorrect, who rejected the gospel, who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners, and whose views of the Bible really were it was toxic poison. And once injected into the veins, then it really made us miserable. That's not the Bible. That's not the Bible at all. And the Apostle Paul comes to see that. And so we are then new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have changed dramatically. You have changed completely as you've gone from one outside of faith in Christ, outside of fellowship with God, outside of being adopted, to one who now is adopted. And one who can say, Abba, Father. One who can go before God in prayer, knowing that he hears you and knowing that he loves you. Now, that causes to look at the world entirely differently. At least it should. This is accomplished, this is the marvel of grace accomplished by the divine power. As he says here, 
This is something that God has done. It is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave Paul the responsibility of preaching and teaching the gospel. But it's the work that God has done. And so as we sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday, as you sit at your table day after day, as you read your Bibles, hopefully, day by day, then you remember that what you are, what you experience, what you have is given to you by God, by his grace, by his kindness, only because of his love. We do well. Uh, knowing God is just a tremendous book. I know someone that reads it once a year. They used to, used to. I don't know if they still do or not, but it is a tremendous book. So books like that, it is most helpful to read those books, to be those who study and read and therefore are educated in the reality of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. The change that has been produced by the work of God through the Lord Jesus Christ is tremendous. It is like, if you will, you have gone into a shop and you've got your present body and your present mind, your present existence, and you go into a closet and you come out with a brand new one. Totally remade, totally changed. So you look at life differently. And you have an affection for God then that would move you to be obedient to him. Listen, this true conversion necessarily brings changes in your life. True conversion necessarily brings changes into your life. As it did the Apostle Paul. As it should everyone who is a believer. So I have some questions to ask for you as we go through this. How has your conversion changed you? How has your conversion changed you? How has your coming to life changed you? Life in Christ. Something I would love to be able to do is swim underwater. And breathe somehow. I wouldn't mind if I was born with gills. That would be odd. People want to stay away from me. But can you imagine that? I could get into the water anywhere, go to any depth, and be able to see the wonders of what's underneath. You know, I love the ocean. I love going to the beach. I love getting to the water. I love snorkeling. I love those things. How different my life would be if I had gills or if I could breathe somehow underwater. It would be extraordinary, but not as extraordinary as being a believer. Everyone here who has made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your life, again, has changed dramatically. Your relationship to the world has changed dramatically. And the way that you view the world has changed dramatically. Concerning the church, are you one who is a warrior for Christ or a warrior against his people? I know of a man who had to give up his pulpit. Not a pleasant thing. It was not because of a moral issue. If people really understood that the church is the apple of God's eye, that everybody here is somebody that God loves dearly, how differently we would treat one another, how differently we would view Christ 
church as it is the apple of his eye. When you come to worship as one who is a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you come really prepared to worship? Do you come with anger in your heart? Or do you come burdened down by the thoughts of the day or the thoughts of the week or the thoughts of this and the thoughts of that? And you really, though you're sitting here, you really cannot be engaged in worship. We all deal with trials and struggles. But we do well to leave them outside the door when we come to worship. And that's not easy to do. But as you come to worship, is your mindset one who is in love with Jesus, in love with Christ, in love with his people? How has the gospel affected you as a husband If you are a husband, has it made any difference at all? Are you one who loves your wife as Christ loved the church? Like I said at the beginning, you've got two sinners living together. And two sinners are going to offend one another. That's just the way it is. That does not in any way abrogate the responsibility that we have as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and put her first always. Not easy to do. But again, if you are a believer, then you recognize this is God's mandate. How has being a Christian, how has being converted affected you as a wife? If you are in that role of being a wife, that God has given you guidelines of what he would have you to do. Do you take those seriously as one who is a believer? Has your conversion affected you as a child? The Bible speaks to that as well. The responsibilities we have as parents to raise our children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. How has your conversion affected your attitude of the things of the world? Has it changed at all? Do you find yourself just as much in love with the things of the world after conversion as you were prior to conversion? Do you find yourself just not being able to trust God with the things that you have? You just can't do it. Rather, it is up to you to maintain it and keep it. We have to be wise, we have to be smart, we have to be diligent, but it is God who gives it, and God who gives us the grace to maintain it. How has your conversion affected you as far as humility is concerned? God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So as you live your life, as I live my life, do I live it as one who is committed to practicing humility? And asking God, help me to be a humble individual. Because I would not be on the wrong end of things as far as you are concerned, O God, and I know that you are opposed to the proud, but give grace to the humble. Has your conversion affected you as far as forgiving other people? I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. Some of you may not remember. Some of you may not have been here. Clay Nichols was talking to someone. Clay Nichols was an elder that used to be here. He died several years ago of cancer. Very faithful man. Someone said something to him about how it was that he would just love everybody like he did. And he said this, if Jesus loves them, I must love them as well. If Jesus loves them, I must love them as well. That's true. That is very, very true. And so that means we can't make excuses. We have a reason not to like somebody. We have a reason not to love somebody. Therefore, we are going to stoke it and hold on to it because in our mind it's right. Well, no, it's not. It's wrong. Finally, how has your conversion experience affected your walk and your efforts you put in, your Christianity, 
your walk with Christ, your efforts that you put into living for Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this again. We consider no one according to the flesh. We consider not the world according to the flesh anymore. Uh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you take comfort in the fact your sins are forgiven? The fact that whatever you have done in the past, God does not hold it against you. If you are in Christ, he does not hold it against you. As you come to him in true repentance, he does not hold it against you. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's the God we're worshiping. We're coming on Sunday. That's the God we're worshiping. The God who has given us the grace we need to go to heaven, to be in glory, given us victory over sin and over death. That's the God that we worship. May your conversion affect every aspect of your life, every aspect of it the way that you look at the world, the way that you relate to other people, the way that you love his church. We want to do it as those who have been reconciled to God through Christ. Let's pray.